1: last episode with archaeologist Kate Freeman on her book, The Archaeology of Innovation, which covers examples from the entire span of human history, I talked about how a profound recentism marks technology studies. So much chatter, including by scholars who should know better, focuses on recent, especially digital technologies. In some academic circles, There is literally more attention paid to so called emerging technologies, which are just promissory notes, than there is to technologies that actually fucking exist in the world and are creating actual agonies right now, today. It's a tendency to focus on what my friend historian David Brock calls wishful worries. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure that you do because it's obvious and It's madness. And Kate Freeman's book is a wonderful antidote to this problem. Today, I want to talk about a related issue, which is how much technology studies has prioritized the United States, Europe, and sometimes selected rich nations like Japan. I don't think this will surprise any of you, but focusing on the USA, Europe, and a couple rich nations is a shitty way to think about technology in the rest of the world. Now, there have always been exceptions to this Western rich tilt of technology studies, but not nearly enough of them. I truly believe the expansion of work done on Latin America, Africa, and Asia is one of the most important developments in science and technology studies today. And I'm proud to say that some of my colleagues, friends, and students are leading the charge. I think we need to do everything in our power to elevate those voices. And we also need to do something even trickier, which is to amplify and support scholars who are working inside the places we need to learn from. I hope to do much more of that on this podcast. You should hold me to it. It's in the general spirit of what I've said so far that I was so, so excited for a recent book to come out. It's called Electrifying Mexico, Technology and the Transformation of a Modern City. And it's by Diana Montano, an assistant professor of history at Washington University in St. Louis. Electrifying Mexico tells the rich story of how Mexico City adopted electricity in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And Diana is a genius at finding examples and stories that will knock your socks off. And she does that work in the service of challenging the presumption that in adopting technologies, Poorer countries are also adopting the values of richer nations. They are their own places and peoples. I think you're going to like Diana a lot. I had a blast with her. You'll see. Get excited. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today.
0: Good afternoon, Lee. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about uh, the book and my future projects with you Sweet.
1: today. Uh, Electrifying Mexico is a wonderful book. Like, I'm not using hyperbole here. It's one of the books I've been looking forward to most this year, and it, it didn't disappoint me at all. So when you talk to strangers about the book if that's something we even do anymore during like these weird COVID times, <laughs> uh, what do you tell them it, it's about and what you were trying to do with it?
0: Well, it's I mean, it's funny, because I mean, every time since I began, you know, putting together the project, every time I, I would tell someone, they will at first have like a a, a a death look in them, like what? And then once I began, you know, talking, they, they will they will feel really at mm-hmm. home. In telling me about their own experiences with the technology, mm-hmm. so so it it, I, it it has been received very well yeah. <laughs> whenever I talked about it. So uh, I pretty much say, you know, I'm I'm, I'm looking at the at the making of electrified spaces. And I'm looking at how people actually led that transformation, how they actually were the agents, they were the ones deciding uh, to what extent they would uh, uh, electrify certain spaces and then how they went about navigating those Mm -hmm. spaces. Uh, How they identify, how they interpret electricity, how it changed their lives uh, and how they uh, saw themselves and their nation as modern through electricity. Mm -hmm.
1: You open the book with a a lovely vignette from an 1883 novel um, whose English title will be something like The Provincials. And in the story, a kind of fine lady worries about that she's going to go blind upon seeing electric streetlights in in Mexico City for the first time. And she declares them a kind of barbarity. She's saying, like, you know, luckily we don't have these where I'm from. Uh, It's such a kind of juicy opener. And I was just like wondering how how did you did you come across it and and do you think it was indicative of how folks other folks saw electricity at that time?
0: Yes, I actually didn't find it until like maybe I was uh halfway done mm-hmm. through that chapter and this is a chapter that actually was a was initially two chapters, so the first chapter was two and uh, one and two, and then eventually it, it was uh, a monster. So I had to break it down, and uh, you know my my format advisor uh, from the dissertation, he kept saying, you know, you need to cut this down. Uh, and anyway so i took his advice and, and and i i began to separate those two so it was in that division uh that i came across you know uh the novel and i used a number of novels in in um for the first for the first uh, uh, chapter. So Los Fuereños, it, it's a well-known novel for for um, hmm. 19th century Mexico. And in particular, José Tomás de Cuella uh, was critical of the transformations mm-hmm. of the city. So I, I wanted, you know, those types of, of yeah. assessments. Uh, assessments that are, that not only, Applauded or celebrated, yeah. right? The transformations, but we're a little bit more critical. And what it's really interesting is that I found this vignette, I found this scene. After I had gone through putting together this conversation on how doctors were looking at the effects of electricity and were discussing whether or not there were health issues, mm-hmm. right? That th- whether or not uh, electrical lighting uh, uh, was a public health mm-hmm. issue. So it was the other oh, way around, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> so so it was really yeah. neat, right? It's, uh, sometimes it's the other way around, in which you find, you know, some artistic, you know, uh, coverage of, of a certain and transformation. And then you want to find the real thing, whether or not it echoes reality. But in this in this case, I found <laughs> reality first. And then I, I, I found yeah. the way in which, you know, it was transferred uh, by by this, uh, you know, beautiful pen of, of Tomás Segura. Yeah.
1: And so, so, I mean, that just makes me wonder, um, is this an is this an author who, if you know Mexican literature, is known for a kind of reflecting on technological modernity and the reason i ask is because i was reading recently reading um the austrian novelist from the early 20th century robert Musel, uh who a friend turned me on to and i just found like it's full of technological stuff but no one had ever told mm-hmm. me like go read this novel because it's full of technology so i just wonder is this something the author was kind of is kind of known for by other folks or is it just you know, they're writing about life and in so there's technology in there?
0: I think so. I think that he's writing about life in general. He's not only writing about uh urban areas, but also, you know, uh villages in the mm-hmm. highlands. Uh but he's also he's tracking down, so he has a really uh good eye, right, to identify those minutes, uh, those instances in which there's something that it's it's uh having an impression on people and they're reacting, yeah. right? Uh so so that's why I, I fell in love with, with his pen. And and the same goes to, you know. Federico Gamboa, who is the other well-known novelist for the Porfiriato, uh, for the period that the first half of the book actually mm-hmm. covers from 1876 to 19 uh 10, 1911. Uh so, so I was um I actually paused, you know, after uh putting aside the monster of the chapter as it was, and then I I, I kept going back to to these novels and you, you know it's a, such a such a fresh breath to read novels you know when you're doing particularly when you're doing oh, man. Uh, a really dry <laughs> topic right because, because and it is you know we historians of technologies we know how dry our topics they can, can be. be so so we we actually have to fight yeah. right uh, and, and we have to find uh, you know those those moments in which you know we can capture the attention of the reader uh, so I said you know I've been looking at uh you know the development of of uh electrical lighting. Uh so so you know a lot of technical dry uh literature and I, I needed a mm-hmm. break. Uh and uh, and I was also looking at you know the different contracts between the different companies and um the ayuntamiento, the the municipal government in Mexico City. So I needed a break from yeah. all of that. And uh, so I, I turned to the novels and uh it is in looking at the novels that I, I began you know looking for, you know, the reflections, how the reflection of electric lighting was captured, yeah. right? So, so there's a lot on on shadows. So I was like, <laughs> I was captured by those. I'm like, okay, there's something mm-hmm. here. Uh, and that's, that's how, you know, I, I went back to uh, looking for literature on, on um, lightscapes yeah. and the, the culture of light and the study of light in general. Yeah. So, Oh. I thought you did like a really yeah, it's, wonderful it's a nice...
1: job throughout the book. I mean, I think you're really good at catching kind of perceptual stuff and where people are really tapping into how it looks. You know, I remember one demonstration. I can't remember what chapter this one was in, but it was like they were really screwing up this light thing they're trying to set up and it, you said it like just looked melancholic and kind of sad and it was just like just finding these really juicy moments where it's like you know people were describing how it looked because i think we can get so far Mm -hmm. away from that when we're writing about like electrical systems and you know we're just talking about bureaucrats or whatever so yeah
0: yeah definitely i mean it it was it was uh and i mean i hope i had encountered you know uh, the study of the senses mm-hmm. uh earlier on because i would have become i think <laughs> i started of yeah. the senses uh but uh yeah. So, so the sensorial reaction there there's a lot there and, and i think looking back you know you are never done with the book yeah, that's yeah, the whole definitely. thing right so you i i would you know think about the sensorial uh, in terms of electricity not only in terms of of light but sound mm-hmm. as well and yeah. smell right so the accidents in particular mm-hmm. right uh, uh, so, so yeah, definitely. I, 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 really looking back, you know, after as I said, after lo- spending a lot of time uh, flipping to contracts, you know, and, and discussion about the different uh, uh, regulations and all of that, you know, it, it was really good for me to move away from that and get a sense of uh, ha- ha- of of those moments in which there were other things that were being captured. Uh, you know, the way people interpreted light, the way in which uh how it actually uh, lit certain spaces and how it left others in the darkness. A darkness that was different, which is, you know, fascinating way of looking, you know, at shadows. Who would have thought, you know, I, I would be looking at shadows and that would be something fascinating yeah. for me. So how'd you get how'd you
1: start down this road? How'd you pick the topic? How'd you come to write about this stuff,
0: uh, about electricity yeah. in particular. Uh, it, it's a really boring mm-hmm. backstory because <laughs> my advisor was the one that you know he mentioned like three or four <laughs> topics, and this is, and this is prior to me entering history. So oh. I don't have. Uh, I have a master's in Latin American uh-huh. studies, and I was doing social policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my thesis, so I did a thesis on social policy on, uh, hometown associations, Those are associations established by Mexican, Mexican migrants in the United States, and then how they send money back to, uh, be a remittances or other ways, you know, to their hometowns to, uh, create mm-hmm. jobs. Right. So I was, I was fascinated by that type of social policy and those type of, 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 um, Programs, and I did research in LA with those hometown associations. And then I went down to Michoacán in southern Mexico and then in the north, uh, close to my hometown. Uh, so I was I was doing that type of really, you know, grounded ethnography, mm-hmm. almost research. And then I turned to history for my phd huh. and um, we were talking about different topics cuz my my uh my advisor william bisley he had been my advisor for mm-hmm. the masters uh so he's he's the one that you know pulled me uh to to history actually and we're talking about a number of, of of uh, themes, uh, subjects that had had been unexplored. And he mentioned electricity and I was like, oh
1: no, <laughs> forget
0: about it, right? So I, I would brush aside a lot, a lot of things like, you know, many advisors yeah. give you a lot of feedback and you just brush a lot aside. And, and, and so for that, you know, it, it sounded really mm-hmm. boring, right? Because for me it was, uh, the way I saw it was, well, he wants me to actually document the development of the national grid. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen, right? But then I turned to look at uh, some of the historiography for the U.S. Uh, So one of the first books that I uh, read uh, was uh, Linda uh, uh, Darklight. And it was uh, the main story or the highlight of the book has to do with the invention of the electric chair. Uh-huh. Right. And the electric chair and then uh, uh, the battle uh, between Edison and Westinghouse. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so all of that in, in the displayed, you know, the exhibitionary yeah. uh, uh, context of the second half of the 19th century, uh, as well as, you know, the, the electric chair itself, you know, capture my attention just because of the way in which people were responding yeah. to something that it was supposed to be this modern way of killing yeah. people right and it turned to be something that was horrific yeah. Right. At, at, at the beginning, because they didn't know how to measure how to actually uh, 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 po- provide enough electricity to kill someone. And, and so the effect were horrific and, and the pressed itself, you know, they they, they wanted mm-hmm. to end it. Uh, so it was it was really interesting to see that and, and how people debated this. Um, so. I, I went back then and 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 say well maybe there are other ways right of looking at this topic which are not as dry as I thought and then I uh, I obviously uh went to read uh uh Electrifying America which you know my my book copies uh, oh, uh, obviously yeah. that the yeah and and That's you know It's funny I it was, didn't even think
1: about was... that. This is a famous book by David no. Nye for <laughs>
0: Yes, I mean, and, and there has been. I, I think I went to a conference, uh, uh, maybe a couple months ago, and one of the first things that uh, uh, this scholar said, you know, people have to be more creative with titles if there's like electrifying everything, right? And I was like, oh, my book is about to come out, <laughs> yeah, it has that title. I'm like, okay, I guess, right? Because there's a lot of like electrifying yeah. Europe, you know, electrifying India, and all of that, and I'm like, yes, I guess, you know, I just went with it, but yes, so. So that's, you, you know, it, it was the way in which social historians had documented uh, electricity and electrification in the U.S. that actually caught my attention. And that's how I, I you know, I, 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 I said, well, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and look into right it. Right <laughs> on. And I mean, I,
1: may, maybe you've already said this basically, but was that there wasn't much written about electricity and electrification of Mexico or in Latin America more broadly when you were getting started? Or was the literature pretty small?
0: Uh, Well, it was, (laughs) going back to the dryness, it it was, it Mm. was uh, one that, you know what, uh, that uh, uh, was asking different questions. That's the whole thing, right? It was asking questions about the industry. So they were uh, dedicated to, you know, capital, the infrastructure and the companies. There's a A fixation with the companies, following the stories of the companies and what they did, uh, how they negotiated, the power that they held. And then the whole thing about, you know, nationalization, uh, denationalization, privatization, all of that, like that was like the Mm -hmm. main, uh, um, like the bulk. I would say, of the historiography mm-hmm. was there. A- and it wasn't by historians. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, political scientists, you know, uh, other individuals that were interested in, you know, uh, the economic and political aspects of electricity. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so there was very little, uh, there was one, uh, when I began, there was one dissertation on, on uh, public lighting uh, in Mexico City. Uh, and it was a dissertation that eventually became a book. Hmm. Uh, uh, while I I I finish my my book, uh, obviously, and uh, yeah, but but it was really you know it was just uh, uh, public lighting itself and not uh, others, um, and so there were a number obviously uh, also uh, government mandated or or sponsor. Uh, books uh-huh. uh, sure. assessments of the industry, uh, particularly after the revolution, when they want to quant- quantify, mm-hmm. right, and, and 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 make an assessment of how far or what was needed mm-hmm. uh, in terms to develop the industry. Yeah.
1: We have those kind of dry and dry as dust uh, histories here in the states too, of like the the you know the elect the nuclear electric power industry and stuff like that. So. Uh, we have our share.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and they have a yeah, lot of totally. data,
1: which yeah. is great. No, they're crucially <laughs> important, but... uh, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. It's not like, you know, that that, that I started at zero. Yeah. Like, it's it's just my questions were different. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I need to use that mm-hmm. to to uh, uh assess as well the expansion. Oh, and, totally. And, and speak the numbers as well. Yeah, no, yeah. I
1: mean, you're always very happy as a scholar when those things exist. It's just, <laughs> it's not something you read for funsies. You know, it's more like, (laughs)
0: yes,
1: (laughs) Uh, so part of what you want to do in the book is uh, complicate a kind of simple diffusionist view of Mm -hmm. technologies where complex technologies are created in rich European US like places and then kind of diffuse out to poor countries and get used there. So say a bit more about the role that kind of like theories and thinking the way thinking about technology has informed your approach and and also what you found in the historical, you know, to kind of illustrate this for listeners. Like when you thinking about complicating that diffusionist picture, first of all, think about how you think about it theoretically and then just kind of use some examples that of stuff you found in the archive that kind of makes that picture more complicated.
0: Yes, so, so uh I mean this the fishness model, the one that you know privileges uh the North Atlantic, mm-hmm. uh the industrial north, uh, uh not only does it uh privilege those areas uh of the world, but then it privileges innovation, yeah, yeah. And dispersal. <laughs> right? So so then at at the expense of that, we leave adaptation and use mm-hmm. out. Uh, so, uh, in in those histories, then uh, technology becomes the all powerful, yeah. right? The unstoppable force, uh, and it it obviously for us doing histories of the global south, in particular, it leaves no space for agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's no agency uh, uh, conceded to local societies. Uh, we, uh, they remained, uh, you know, as perpetual consumers, consumers of other people's technologies, technologies developed elsewhere, and uh, obviously, it it then uh, also has to do with uh, uh, importing. Uh, Mm -hmm. modernity, right? The modernity that it is, uh, the parameters of modernity, the experiences, they're all, you know, designed and uh, uh, in a sense, conceptualized abroad and then they're just imported. Uh, So so in in that sense, I I like what uh, uh, Thomas Nisa recommends, right, of of giving us uh, the challenge of thinking of different groups and cultures and how they appropriate the same technology and then go on to use it for different Mm -hmm. ends. Uh, So then far from dictating how a technology uh, uh, must be used, then we encounter technologies that are interacting deeply with society, right? And, and with the culture. Uh, so in, in that interactions, you have uh, resistance, accommodation, acceptance, and even enthusiasm, mm-hmm. right? So you have all of those, it, it, that complexity, right? The texture. So so it is then for us to untangle those connections. And, and as I said, you know, um, We want to look closely at individual technologies, uh, but then really inquire carefully into the social and cultural processes that those uh, technologies are uh uh undergoing uh when they 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 arrive or they are imported mm-hmm. right into those spaces. So, so it, 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 it was uh in that sense that I wanted so, so this there's this emphasis in the book about grounded, right? Grounded electricity and it's, yeah. it's a pun. You know, do those. Of those and you know a lot of people, you know, told me you need to tone it down. <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like no, you know, I'm gonna exploit them as much as I can. And it also you know it this is a book written in english obviously but it, it goes to show you know to what extent our own language has been electrified yeah. right uh so in spanish it's a little bit different but uh yeah so so anyway so in um i was trying to get away from that right uh, i and, and that's does that mean that I am going to cut off Mexico from mm-hmm. the world because it's it's impossible right uh we have the main companies uh in the 19th century uh they are at the beginning they're British and they eventually become uh German and then Canadian and American Marine. companies right so those networks those linkages are yeah. there right uh and, and and I do I I, I you know I I bring, bring them into the picture uh to um to to see how this electric scape is expanding, right? Uh, but they're not in the center of the story. Yeah, like I, that's not my interest. To follow the capital and to follow the technology, the the the, uh, the machinery itself. Like I, 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 I want to, uh, and, and that's what I wanted to do. You know. Uh, Look from the ground yeah. up, pretty much as much yeah. as possible, right? Uh, uh, there are limits, obviously, as to how much you can actually. Uh, uh, it, it has to do with your your documents. Um, you
1: tried though. I can so yes. I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you worked a lot harder at that than a lot of people have in the past. So congratulations.
0: Yeah. So so then you know it it. It, it uh, uh, allows you to document how these electrified environments were neither natural or inevitable, mm-hmm. right? Uh, something that, you know, Good A does for uh, Britain and then Christopher Jones does for, you know, energy and energy transitions yeah. in the US, right? That you had to actually uh, go back to that context and see all the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, for instance, uh, uh, in the case of the different, in, in the first chapter, I talk about the, this spectacular uh, view of Mexico City uh, that had four different lighting regimes at the same mm-hmm. time, right? It had oil in certain areas, it had gas, it has uh, turpentine, and then electricity, and they were all comedians, yeah. right? And, and as one was expanding, you know, the other ones would move outwards and, and that way and at one point you have a new a new gas uh solarina right it's solarina and it's it, this is a mexican uh company that it, it's introducing this uh and they get a concession and that from being a really small concession, starts mm-hmm. to grow because the luminate, the type of light it's giving, it's really good. So it's comparable to electricity mm-hmm. uh, in 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 terms of of its uh, lumen. Uh, so in that sense, you know, it 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 com- complicates the fact that you know there were other yeah. ways uh, uh, that people were testing, and and that electricity, you know, did not just arrive yeah. to dominate dominate. Uh, dominant oh my god I'm forgetting no you. no no. <laughs>
1: no I mean there's contingency right <laughs> to, to
0: dominate. yeah yes exactly yeah. so there's pushback you know people are 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 critical of it when it first arrives mm-hmm. um and uh the, they are challenging you know there are all of these concerns about the 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 problems right the, the there's concern of whether or not uh, it would cause ITCs right for for people that are actually working yeah. under the light uh in particular so uh it was in those in those moments that you you you, you began to understand that y- you know uh uh that is it was much m- more complicated yeah. and, and in following the big net- networks you know uh uh you lose a lot of that
1: yeah um it's funny, in the U.S. case, when I'm talking to students, I like to talk about, like, um, trucks, but also, like, planes flying over with spe- loudspeakers pointed down. This was, like, something people tried with ads for a while, like, just flying really low over towns. Or there was also, and you might have bumped into this. I can't remember if this is in the book or not, is um, uh, here in the States, they tried these giant... Uh, light towers so instead of having street lights mm-hmm. throughout you know you just have these enormous towers that are like 100 feet tall with huge lights on them so yeah
0: yes so so those towers were actually uh, were part of the experimentation in the Mexico City uh, there were at least two of them that were established as far as I can tell but I, I then didn't get uh, to hear or to be able to document the response yeah. to them I just know that they went away. Really
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Really fast. There's this wonderful journal so the- from the. It might be late 19th century to early, like mid 20th century. It might even still be around in some different form, but it's just called the American mm-hmm. City, and it's like, um, it's a it's a journal where people wrote about new technologies for managing cities, but also, um, they would just there was lots of ads for stuff. And there, so you can kind of see all the stuff that people were mm-hmm. like trying to sell cities to manage stuff like light. And you can find the trippiest stuff there from like the, in the teens and the twenties, you're like, whoa, so that was, that was a thing for a second. So like, that, <laughs> I, I'll always love that, especially with undergrads, I think it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: Yes. I mean, I, and, and and I, I, I mean, I have talked in the past about, you know, as a historian, you know, go to the archive and then you try to get as much as possible, particularly if you are going from, you know, you have to fly thousands of miles to get to the archive. You you really want to document Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And sometimes you miss things, right? So you end up, you know, there's something you read and and don't actually uh, write down. So there Mm. was one case, for instance, in which people were complaining of, uh, the municipality, the, the ayuntamiento, spending so much money and dedicating so much money to uh, alumbrado, to public lighting. And, and and they said, well, you know, one of the ways in which you could have people that are out there at night, they should be the ones paying for it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Yes. So what they wanted to do is to have these boxes below each oh light, God. right? Yeah, and then you would have to deposit yeah. a coin, and it will light up maybe a hundred meters, and you have so much so, so much time like, to transverse oh that area, God. and then you could just light your way, you know, th- through the night as as you went back and forth, and and then so it wasn't the individual. Yeah. Then you know that that they have.
1: Well, I'm gonna erase oh, this in everyone. the eventual podcast because we don't want like <laughs> neoliberal city managers and mayors getting a hold of this idea. <laughs> They're like. Tolling light. That is the best idea. So we're gonna go ahead and cut no, I won't actually cut out this <laughs> <Okay>. section, but <laughs> so let's just kind of like get, you know, on the table like just the basics. So like how and when did electricity first come to Mexico and kind of like what was the the mm-hmm. you know the primal scene of electricity in Mexico?
0: Yeah, so, so the first experiment was uh, in the early 1880s, and uh, it began with 40 lights, 40 lights that went uh, uh, up uh, around the uh, uh, Paseo de la Reforma. Uh, and, and this was like the most prominent uh, area of Mexico City, obviously, and uh, it, it, it went up for uh, a celebration for us, a civic sub- celebration. And uh, it it they remain up for a while. and then that's when the discussion began uh, in the ayuntamiento uh, whether or not this uh, was uh, a technology, right uh, 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 a lighting system that could benefit, you know, from expanding into other areas of the city uh, so so some some of the uh discussion then begins at that time in the 1880s and obviously the the discussion as I said as I mentioned before doctors you know chiming in and, and actually uh, putting this up at their uh uh national uh like the, the national uh, um, uh, medicine uh, uh the institution for national medicine, I, I I'm blanking mm-hmm. on the name right, right. now, but uh, so what they do is that they bring up this issue that there's too mm-hmm. much light, and that was a problem right uh, uh, at the beginning because you had the brush mm-hmm. arc lights, which you know that the, they were measuring thousands uh, candle light, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden, so it, it's a different problem. Right. It's a different problem, and they're trying to assess whether or not uh, this is uh, an issue, and whether or not this is an issue that doctors should be looking mm-hmm. into to um, and uh it is you know in different meetings uh the same issues brought up uh around different uh, uh, mm-hmm. Phenomena, right? So the first one what had to do with uh, IDCs and whether uh, people that were going transversing these areas uh, were going, like just like Doña mm-hmm. Candelaria, right? Whether or not they will have, uh, you know, their their eyes were yeah. hurt uh, uh, after being exposed to that light, and uh, so that was the first, and then that, uh, that doesn't go away, obviously, because uh, they were calling for additional uh, studies to be undertaken in Mexico City, in particular particular to determine whether or not there was enough data to determine, you know, this is not the type of lighting that we need because it's causing uh, uh, eye strains. And then thereby we need to, you know, test out other types of lighting. Uh, And then eventually they come back, you know, there's there's this uh, uh, explosion in the mosquito population. Mm. Uh, and they're they're tracking it down again too. You know, it's it's the electric yeah. lights that are causing this, right? Um, and, and it's really interesting. You know, then studies are and 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 um doctors from a number of areas, backgrounds are coming to discuss this. And the last, you know, the last uh type of debate uh, uh, in 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 uh, in the academia de medicina it's one dealing with plants mm-hmm. right and uh you know this uh um these Montezuma uh, trees uh, in in, in, in which Mexico City is popular for because these are centennial, you know, trees, Um, the uh, Aguahuetes, there was concern that uh, they were not, uh, uh, they were being hurt by the light Mm -hmm. itself because they were uh, awakened throughout uh-huh the event, yeah yeah right? so 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 you know as far uh, as long as there was no definite answer on the effect of yeah. electricity and electric lighting to not only uh the hum- human eye but also to animals and to uh, plants those types of anxieties mm-hmm. uh remained right? yeah and i, I want
1: to make clear to listeners that um there's a couple topics we're going to talk about uh, together that uh, they might sound goofy, but there were very similar worries in the United States and Europe about the health effects of light. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things where I don't want it to seem like, oh, this is just something goofy that was happening in Mexico because it's totally happening in the U.S. Anxieties about glare and all this kind of crap. So, um,
0: yeah, so anxieties and fears where where. Uh, widespread like all over right wherever experimentation was happening uh and obviously in my case i'm trying to document how how mexican intellectuals mexican professionals were responding to this and also people like doña candelaria you know that ended up in the novel uh how regular people were uh uh, responding right sensing in a sense that that changes on the streets
1: um so can you tell me the the president uh, during this period that you look in in the first half of the book is named. Can you say his name? Fourteen yeah. And S? and so, you know, famously Americans like me are not taught like Mexican history at all or Canadian history <laughs> even though they are neighbors. Um, but, you know, uh this guy, he's president for over 30 years, like 31 years, maybe disconnected by four years, but like a long time. Yes. And, and he's a mm-hmm. kind of modernizer in a lot of ways. So what does kind of like how does the technology of electricity and electrification connect to his kind of nationalist visions and modernizing visions that he's putting forward during this period?
0: Yeah so, so Porfirio Diaz comes to power in 1876 uh he will take a break after 4 years and then come back and not leave until the revolution <laughs> yeah. right so so you know he implements this uh very violent uh, uh enforces this uh violent uh regime of peace and mm-hmm. order right and and this is a a very uh positivist i guess uh um even the, the technocrats around him yeah. you know they are dedicated to transform the society uh by the principles uh coming from uh scientific uh governance and also the the uh the expansion and uh, wide implementation mm-hmm. of technologies right so they are wedded to you know this new way of governing uh, uh, the population. So they are backing major, uh, uh, technologies and technological projects, let's say around the country to unify the country yeah. first. Right. And also to fortify and allow for this, uh, um, uh, expert based economy to take root. Right. So this is what happens. Uh, uh, so there are a number of, uh, transformations throughout the country. Yeah. Um, and uh, among them, obviously, uh, it's the uh, it, it's a beautification mm-hmm. of the cities, right? So there's with this new new model of the economy, with the expert based economy, you have uh, uh, increased income, obviously, for the government, and some of them, some of that is being funneled. Towards uh, the cities and and obviously being the jewel of the nation, Mexico City has to represent right. So the most uh, 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 funds ended up in Mexico City. Um, in terms of electricity, in particular, you know, I I eventually I every major event, every major uh, milestone in terms of the electrification of the city, uh, Porfirio Diaz was sure. Short- yeah, yeah right so he I was noticed. present so so he you know he he eventually develops a close relation with uh uh-huh. Edison and and i found some correspondence between uh uh them and eventually the only voice recording out there Uh, of Porfirio Diaz is it's, it's a cylinder that he actually dedicates to Edison, right. Telling him, applauding what he had done, right. Uh, 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 What he had done around the world through uh, his inventions, but particular through uh, electricity, right. And what he had done with electrical lighting uh, and and electrical implements in general. So, um, I mean, I, I, I do want to go back because there's there's a lot more there about exhibitions and these types of yeah. exhibitions of different technologies in, in Mexico City de the Porfiriato, which become, right, uh, part of these elite outings in which people would yep. host, you know. It's, it's the same time cinema is coming into mm-hmm. place, right? So you have this very private and very uh, elitist yeah. obviously, uh, uh, um uh, meetings in, in private spaces and you have people you know actually connecting to people selling yeah yeah, yeah themselves uh so, so there's a different way and, and, and there's this connection so there's even uh you know in terms of uh the telegraph telegraph uh, uh mm-hmm. mail and other types of services that were being uh you know describe at the time as potential uh uh, uh yeah. projects, uh potential schemes. So so in all of that, he's for Vito Yes, I think it, it's infatuated with, with those types of of displays yeah. uh, of technological systems.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a very Edison's doing the same stuff, you know, some of the scenes you describe remind me of these famous I can't remember. There's this one I should have looked this up, but there's this famous Edison story where he invites investors up to his lab and like he he gives them a fancy dinner and like they don't really know what's going to happen. And then he turns the lights on, you know, and it's like, Woo! and it's like the same kind of like super elite, but there's also <laughs> enough journalists in the mix. So the word gets out of it into the public. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, there's this inside outside tension all the time, you know, like it's gotta be insider, but enough outsiders so that people can at least be envious. They're not in the room with us. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh,
0: yeah there's there's actually now that you're saying that it, it reminds me you know um when Porfirio Diaz uh, went on his honeymoon right he he married this uh, uh socialite who was like Thirty yeah, years younger yeah. than him, uh, and, and they go to New York, and uh, one of the places that he visits is Edison's lab. Oh, yeah. Right, so he, so, so I don't, I, uh, I haven't found, you know, documentation about that yeah. visit itself, but in the recording, he actually mentions that, right? He mentions that, you know, that he saw it firsthand, yeah. right. So, so definitely that and it's and it's part of this exhibitionary uh, culture of the second half of the nineteenth century, in which you know electricity finds you yeah. know at, at the same time it's it 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 is part of and in also amplifies at the yeah. same
1: time. So, in the second part of the book, you really turn more to um, kind of you know bo- bottom up, ground level kind of reactions to to these systems and. Um, to some degree, uh, this comes out in your book as well, but I, I was d- double checking something about you today, and I was noting that you have not one but two articles examining the intersections between humor and class in electric streetcar accidents. So <laughs> tell us what's so funny about streetcar accidents.
0: Oh, Lord. Uh, well, I don't think there's nothing funny about it, but, you know, the way in which they become recurrent in a way and and people begin to make fun of them and document them. Right. Uh, And also criticize the way the press is actually uh, trying to discern who's guilty of of the accidents. So I I have one in which, you know, it's. The first article that I published uh, has to do with humor and uh, humor around the testing of uh, different Mm. patents of the fenders in Mexico. So, so the fender problem, you know, it's, it's a widespread problem around the world where electric uh, uh, street uh, street cars are are being introduced. And uh, in Mexico City, that was obviously the case as well. There were a number of accidents that were construed differently, obviously. Uh, It was construed as um, this uh, inability of the lower classes in particular to either navigate uh, electrified spaces, technified spaces, but at the same time, you know, the the individuals driving the electrical cars were also, you know, criticized because they were unable to handle mm-hmm, modern mm-hmm. machinery. And that was a bigger yeah. problem, right? W- one thing is that uh people were run down because you don't know how to assess data yeah. on the streets. Yeah. That's that's on you. But the other one, you know, echo and 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 the concern was, you know, if this is is happening to the lower classes, the the working classes, an inability to handle modern material—that's yeah. a bigger problem, right? So um, anyway, so w- with uh, with that, there were a number of uh, patents that were uh, that were filed in Mexico uh, with different types of vendors. Um, and then uh, there was, uh, uh, they were tested out in the public, on the streets, obviously. Uh, so there were public events. And in many cases, the inventors would actually put an ad on the newspapers calling for people to come in and, and uh, testify, witness uh, their marvelous, uh, obviously, uh, uh, invention. Uh, so they would become really public events. Uh, in some of them, the president hmm. was there. Right. Yeah. Once again. Uh looking from the balcony, right? From the presidential balcony. And then in the test, you know, they were they were uh testing with uh, uh mannequins. Uh and 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 they Eventually, become uh, more dramatic when you know the inventors themselves. You know they would substitute the mannequin because they were so confident mm-hmm. uh, of the invention themselves. So, so they were really dramatic. And but in the coverage, in the press coverage of those of those inventions, uh, they were being criticized. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and even the, the you know the way in which accidents were covered, there was a lot of humor. Uh, there were ways, and this is black yeah, humor, yeah. right? Uh, uh, for 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 those familiar uh, with Mexico, humor mm-hmm. negro, right? Really dark mm-hmm. humor, uh, uh, and uh, this was this was highlighted in in discussions about the patents and whether or not they were working and what they were doing to the bodies of those that were being run down on this street. And so
1: you see it because it's like fits into the second part. You see this as a kind of. The tension between these electricity systems and kind of the citizens, right? The people on, on the road. Is that what you want to draw out for readers?
0: Yes. I mean, it It, it, it has to do with what they make made of the problems, yes. right? The problems that come with a new technology mm-hmm. and uh, how the discussion itself drove uh, uh, the attention away from the machine itself and the yeah. companies, Right. And towards the the individuals that this was a problem that, you know, in order to uh, 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 decrease the number of accidents and what needed to be done is is uh, to reform yep, behavior, yep. right? So so individuals had to discipline yep. themselves. They had to learn how to navigate the streets, how to stop in the corners, how to assess danger. So there's this whole idea, and in Mexico, obviously, this is colored uh, with a uh, uh, racial, uh, racialized mm-hmm. language, right? Um, so there are uh, labs. Uh, being uh, established around the world particularly the us and europe about uh, to assess attention and attention span so attention becomes yep. a problem in the second half of the 19th century right particularly as factories are expanding and accidents are you know there's a way uh in which they want to uh, quantify and they want to prevent accidents and blah 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 so attention then becomes yep, a problem totally right uh, in the 19th century it's not, new. And, it's not a um, new problem in, with in, cell phones right <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so then, uh, at, at that point, uh, those who lack attention yeah. and who are unable to respond to stimuli in the city are found to be either un- the the underclasses, the lower classes, the, the pueblo. Uh, in, in the terms used at the time, or uh, provincianos, people from outside of Mexico City, right? So there's this ridiculing yes. of of, uh, of of provincianos, of of the yeah. rural folk, yeah. So so in the US, it happens something yep. similar, right? With the walking uh, when the car is introduced, yep. right? Uh, so and so, it's similar yeah. about, it's so about it's jaywalkers Jay part...
1: walkers, which are is a Jay is another word for hillbilly. Mm-hmm. So it's another way of. It was basically the hillbilly walkers, the people who don't know the rules of the road in the city. So, you know.
0: Yes. So so the assessment is really classed, but it's also, in the case of Mexico, it's rationalized Mm -hmm. as well. And what's interesting, you find, uh, I find this, not only through textual analysis but also visual mm-hmm. analysis so in the way in yeah which, you have wonderful
1: um, cartoons
0: big, big, yeah, victims, yeah. yeah victims are being depicted these are i mean the attire yeah. and then the facial characteristics are indigenous huh. uh lower class dress as well so so there's a double reaffirmation of who who the who who are part of the problem right so
1: it sadly it turns out we're both historians of attention and of in the early <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like i we got to stop cuz we could talk about this for like 4 <laughs> hours uh well, i mean i think probably for in your in my mind you're kind of like best known for your chapter on electricity theft maybe that's cuz i saw you give a talk on the topic but this mm-hmm. is just kind of like how you are in my head so uh you know yeah. how would you get it And so you have this wonderful chapter on electricity theft and the problem the mm-hmm. problem in quotation marks of electricity theft so how would you how would you get into this topic how mm-hmm. how'd you find it
0: so so the place of diablitos this these devices to steal electricity in maceco city are widely okay. known right images of electricity uh, electrical theft are are, are really uh, are mm-hmm. everywhere right so it, it happened to me so i was early on in the research i think i was doing pre-dissertation research and i was uh riding the subway in mexico city and they have on and off you know the the, the company the electrical company would have campaigns against
1: uh-huh theft. okay
0: and i remember seeing posters right of like don't steal power because you know you're going to damage your electrical appliances. Oh. So say no to the Diablitos and things like that. And it was everywhere, right? This this is, I mean, it's also this also tells you how, how old we <laughs> are, right? And how far back we actually began looking at this because I remember some of the uh the cards that you need to use uh public phones. Some of those cards actually had uh images from uh-huh. those campaigns, right? So they were part of the, the PR of those oh, campaigns. So and uh, so, so they're there, like say yeah. no to the Diablitos, right? Or, or you know, re, re-emphasizing the fact that to steal electricity is yeah. a crime. Uh, so that's the first, you know, it, it I already knew that, that, uh, in, 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 images of, of the outskirts of Mexico city and, you know, that tangles of, 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 wires all yeah. over, you know, uh, uh, the place, uh, are, are, are really huh. common. So, so I knew that I wanted to do something like that. Uh, but what I, I, I was actually, I, I came to power theft, uh, in the archives by serendipity I would say. Uh so uh I, I mentioned and, and and you were there for that talk. You know, I mentioned that I had this uh initial idea to look at the archive for uh the main um the main company that had uh supplied electricity to mexico city throughout the 20th century and that was the mexican lighted power eventually it, it uh when it was nationalized it became uh Fuerza yeah. del centro right so they when the first time i went up there uh to the archive they were beginning to you know go through the documentation they were still digitizing some photographs i mean it was really early on and i was really excited because i was like the first person to go there and they would tell me you know, oh, you are a historian, so they really wanted yeah. to know something about me because they had never seen one, right? Uh, anyway, so I was really excited to. But then, in 2009, the federal government uh, took over uh, the, that company and actually shut down uh, and 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 uh, put out of work the the uh, electrical workers associated with the Sindicato Mexicano de Electricistas. So then. Uh, there my archive went because it was closed down. They didn't know what was going to happen to it. Uh, It took years. It took about, uh, I think, six years for that archive to eventually be transferred to the National Archives and to be accessible to scholars. So I found myself without an archive, right? I was there uh, without an archive. So then I started looking at um, legal cases because I was interested. uh, I was interested on whether or not some of the... um, uh, uh, individuals that had been injured by uh, by the tramways actually filed mm-hmm. a, a suit, right? So, so that's where I ended up in the judicial uh, archives, and um, to my surprise, because I you could enter a keyword, right? So I would enter the, the name of the company, and then the other company kept coming up. Uh, and we powered ah. them. And I remember the first case was over 100 pages. Wow. And it had so much juicy yeah. detail. And I'm like, oh, my God, I found a jewel, right? So then I kept going back. I remember I spent many, many days uh, documenting all of those cases. And and I only used some of them uh, in that chapter and in that article because there they they were just yeah. too many. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and there were some interesting ones that, that I left out uh as well but uh yes yeah, so so they provide you a different way of uh you know assessing how electricity was being brought into different spaces you know uh factories uh into uh, uh residential homes uh small shops uh uh the the tortilla mills as well you know the, the molinos all of those places and as uh, so i i was really captured by by that type of uh, detail, uh, uh, narration, narratives of the, the way in which ele- e- e- individuals were actually uh, using, consuming electricity, but in their own mm-hmm. terms. So, so uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in, in, in going through those I
1: files. I, I especially like, um, I mean, this is another topic where I feel like we need more work on this in the States, because I think it's more common than people uh that the literature so far recognizes and utility Mm -hmm. theft in general. I told I told you when you gave that talk that I knew this guy in college who like he was a former cable worker. But just I won't tell people how I know this, but just for like like smoking him (laughs) up, he would like uh connect people to uh cable, you know? And this was like how he was known. Mm -hmm. He would just get like he got paid in weed basically by people around town. Mm -hmm. And would just like he just went from place to place and and hooked them up. And I, it's just like I had flashbacks to that while reading your work because it's like the 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 people trained to do the the electricity work are very often the exact vectors for this illegality. and i just I just find that totally fascinating, you know
0: yes and and it happens with this technology and, and any yeah, other technology exactly. in which you know there's room there's the certain power that uh workers actually have over consumers and there's always negotiation yeah. and in that negotiation you know uh uh and in and in surveiling and policing consumption you know uh workers are not always 100 percent uh interested in safeguarding the company's yes
1: exactly right? <laughs> well i mean yeah and then also i mean uh you know listeners should uh, Phil Scranton, the historian of technology, has a book coming out on Hungary. And, um, you know, he has a, a, you know, it might be a whole section of the book on the um, what he calls the theft economy. And for Hungarian workers, it was very often more profitable to go do like... To not show up to work and go do like maintenance and repair work or probably s- steal a utility stuff th- like on the mm-hmm. side than it was to actually go to work. So there was tremendous amount of just like skipping jobs and going work in the black market. So there's I mean, I think this is just like a lot. There's a lot more to be said. And obviously, our our mutual colleague and my colleague here at Virginia Tech, Fabian Prieto, Nana's, Nana's, uh is is working on this stuff too. So there's so much to be said about these yes, topics. Yes,
0: definitely. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we're talking, uh, uh, and and I think Fabian was the one that you know. I, I met him just before I I wrote that yeah. chapter, uh, that article, and he helped me, you know, beef up a little bit about the the, the intersection of crime and illegality. So cool. And uh, definitely, that's a, there's a lot there too for us historians of technology.
1: Yeah. So I think we're gonna have to skip. The third part of your book, which is sad, but it's good because we get to leave some for people so they buy your book and go check it out. I especially love the um the chapter on do- domesticity. Um, reminded me of mm-hmm. like, the Mexican Ruth Schwartz Cowan or something like that. There's a lot of really great stuff there about different I mean, I like the stuff about electrical appliances because it's like feels very mm-hmm. similar, but it's also different. You know, like the uses are different, like mixed drinks and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. all right, we're gonna skip that. And I wanna say you <laughs> end the book with um with the nationalization of the electricity system in 1960. So, what you know, like, what did nationalization mean, and you know, how does it kind of close out the story you wanted to tell? Why did you, why, why did you land, decide to land there?
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I decided. To end it there, there were. I mean, I I remember the first person that was from a press that was interested in the book. Uh, they said, "Well, you have to bring it to the present. and I'm like, "No, you're yeah. no. I, I will not go to the present because I I knew that I wanted you know t- for each chapter to have to be in written in such a textured yeah. way that." it would not make justice for me to jump from 1960 to the present. That's 60 years and a lot happened, right? So I did my best, you know, in the last chapter to document, you know, the ways in which politicians and workers actually uh, um, deployed certain – sentiments of nationalism, of masculinity and all of that uh, to defend the natural resources of the of the of the nation. Right. In order to secure benefits, yeah. obviously, for them. And in, in the context of industrialization after uh, the Second War, uh, Second World War. Uh, so I, I, I knew that 1960 would be a, a good ending point because then the drive to move this story into the countryside, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They was, uh, uh, even though, you know, the, the, the Comisión Federal de Electricidad, uh, uh, you know, this, this, this national agency, uh, agency in charge of, of electrifying the countryside, but also expanding the national agreement and it first obviously building it and then expanding it, uh, they had been working since the 1930s. Uh, So the 1960s then, you know, it it allows me to uh, bring the story to an end in the way in which individuals were driving the story and were the ones uh, behind it, right? Then in 1960, as I said, in, in the conclusion, the narrative begins to change Mm -hmm. at that time uh and it becomes very presidential right it it becomes it it follows the president around and and the president giving granting right Um granting the uh 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 the the electricity that the infrastructure to the people when up until that point you know People had been, individuals on the ground, had been the ones driving the electrification process, mm-hmm. right? I, uh, one of the arguments uh, that I, I put together in that chapter is that the state is a latecomer. Mm-hmm right into the picture and 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 I wanted it that way because it, they show up even they, they they their efforts to regulate the industry to regulate companies to regulate rates it's really I mean it, they began to do that in the late 1920s yeah, yeah. right when when there has been already like 40 years yeah. uh of electrical companies uh so 1960s, I mean also I was I I think I I didn't have um as i said Another story in another space to cover because the the book moves moves, uh, uh, chronologically, but also it moves from different Mm -hmm. spaces. Uh, And for me, you know, to bring out the story again into the national platform and bring in national politics and once again, looking into Mm -hmm. the future right? As the book begins in the 1880s, you know, with the electrical exposition and this idea of how electricity would help industrialize, modernize the nation, uh, that was, you know, very much in, in, in infused and united a number of people across different lines into this vision of the nation. So this happens once again in the ni- in 1960 as, you know, the effort and the campaigns to, for rural electrification yep. began to to yep. emerge
1: that's beautiful and um so you got a lot going on i know um you have multiple kind of angles so what's what should listeners kind of expect uh next from diana what's what's on the what's up next
0: so i just finished uh, my uh fellowship what well, well my my intensive let's say research at the linda hall library for my second book project which is um the hydroelectric plant necaxa and necaxa is the main hydroelectric plant South of Mexico City, that it's going to provide electricity for uh, the capital and five states around the capital uh, throughout the 20th century. Uh, I'm interested then for that story uh, and the generation part. So I'm going back, you know, after spending the book, uh, the first book on the consumption side, I'm going back to Mm -hmm. the generation, and I'm interested in uh, a number of. I'm I'm going more into the environmental Mm -hmm. tech. I would say. with the transformation of this really large watershed uh that was uh transformed in order to secure enough water for this hydroelectric plant um there's uh, uh it, it's shorter stories mm-hmm. you know the span it's uh, from 1904 to 1914 as i in, visualize it, uh, today, uh, right now. Um, uh, and it's a story that it's not only about the environment, the transformation of the watershed, but, uh, and then the workers themselves, which are primarily indigenous mm-hmm. workers up to 8,000 at a time that were, uh, you know, that, that, uh, uh, were mm-hmm. displaced, uh, to work on the site. So it's, it, it's a story about displacement and erasure, erasure. So displacement of not only, uh, these indigenous workers that went to build different dams, uh, but also uh, the technicians, the water technicians uh, from abroad, particularly Americans, but also displacement of capital and machinery from the North Atlantic into Mexico. Uh, and then erasures for the type of erasures of of, of the towns, mm-hmm. the towns that were flooded. Right. Um, and it, it's it's a fascinating project obviously I, i'm gonna say that but you know it, it's contemporaneous to the panama mm-hmm. canal uh it's it's it built a, a number of engineers were actually uh working yeah, at both cool. sites um and what it's really interesting and and this is something that you know i i learned uh during my stay at the library uh of the linda hall library uh in terms of innovations i know this is that, no no that, innovation's that is no but you know this is it's is a time in which there were a number of engineering yeah. innovations in necaxa right so there the 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 attention of the world was actually uh placed on, on necaxa there was uh coverage all over the world about what was going on in necaxa because there were a number of hydraulic and also uh civil engineer uh uh innovations mm-hmm. and what's interesting that there are a number of innovations there that people are paying attention to and in the case of Panama, you know, uh, um, the the chief engineer there, you know, in, in his assessment, writing in 1915 about uh, Panama, says there are no major engineering innovations. Mm. Everything everything at Panama had been tested ah, as well, yeah. uh, elsewhere right. before. So it's really interesting to see. But you know. Mm. You tell someone about Nekaxa and they yeah. don't know. They don't know about Nekaxa, right? And at the time, the eyes of the world were actually placed there. So I, I, I just, I just finished uh, an article uh, that it's gonna go somewhere <laughs> uh, in the next month uh, about that, about the, the, the making of Nekaxa in into this social technical imaginary by foreigners. So I called them technological pilgrims that are are actually going down to uh to Necaxa are, are 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 enduring the trek down to to the site which was a uh, uh, uh a very uh, uh, tortuous trail to get there Uh, and they're documented, they're writing about it. So you have writers, you have journalists. uh, uh, Most of them obviously uh, are foreigners at this time and they are giving you uh, this image of what's going on in Mexico how, uh, as one of the, of these journalists is saying how, Water is waking up Mexico, hmm. right? It's waking up the nation. So that's that's where the big project uh, uh, sounds awesome,
1: man. <laughs> Deanna, Thank thanks so you. much for hanging out for me today. It's wonderful to finally have a chance, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've interacted in a variety of ways for so long, but it was really wonderful to have a chance to talk to you today.
0: No, no, Lee, thank you. Thank you very much for, for uh, inviting me and for being such a great uh, interlocutor for me. I was really nervous, you know, I, I told you. And, uh, you know, I, I I I finished the book in the middle of the pandemic, and then I put it aside and, and you know, life yeah. continues and the semester starts, but, you know, it's time to go back and, you know, start talking about it again, because this is the exciting yeah. part, right? Sharing. Part, yeah. So thank you thank very you. much.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. People's and things like most things in this world depends on the work of many people. I want to thank my brother Jake Vinsel for writing the music for the show. I want to thank my buddy, Juliana Castro, for designing the logos for the podcast. You can check out her work at julianacastro.co. Peoples and Things is a production of Virginia Tech Publishing and the University Libraries at Virginia Tech. Production activities are supported by the Athenaeum, a space in the library that acts as a hub for digital humanities teaching, learning, and creation. Joe Ford is the Athenaeum Coordinator and Digital Humanities Specialist at VT Libraries, and he serves as producer and sound engineer for the podcast. For information about other podcasts from Virginia Tech Publishing, visit publishing.vt.edu. I also want to thank you for listening.
0: Thanks.